Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Wyoming Whiskey in the house with David DeFazio, who co-founded the brand with Brad and Kate Mead. We tasted the Wyoming Whiskey Steamboat, a limited edition that must be tried. Their small batch, their Seven Grand single barrel, only available at Seven Grand. The Outrider, a completely unique expression. And then we tried the Wyoming Whiskey Double Cask. Amazing. Be sure to tell your friends about our podcast, SpiritGuideSocietyPodcast.com. And remember to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means just because the whiskey's from Wyoming doesn't mean you can't be riding a horse around the house drinking it. Now, David, give us a little background. Um, I think that you guys are really brave to be, you know, bringing a bourbon into America. I mean, there's all these craft distilleries that are starting to like try different things, but they're playing around with different mash bills. But you guys are co- straight coming in up against the big boys. Like bourbon is America's native spirit, you know, mm-hmm. and to step in and say, we're going to try to get some shelf space when you're competing with these distilleries that are spilling more whiskey down the drain than a lot of these craft distilleries can make in a week, you know, like how can you compete in the in the modern market? I guess we'll back it up. How did you guys get started? Like, who thought, let's start making bourbon in Wyoming? Give us a little background. There was no master plan. I mean, that's the thing is, I think this day and age with so many craft distilleries popping up, each distillery has their own like focus, their own plan on how they're gonna attack the market. You know, they're gonna create the next best, whatever it is, and here's gonna be our angle. When we started, there was no craft spirit movement yet. I mean, 06, if you think about it, the only thing that was around back then that we knew of that came out right after we announced we were going to do this was uh, Stranahan's. And we were like, damn, someone beat us to this craft thing. You know, and that was it. And then we started going on it, and we just wanted to make, I remember sitting in Brad and Kate's living room, and we came up with our mission statement and what our goal was, and we wanted to make America's next great bourbon because Brad and I love bourbon. Um, it just so happens that Maker's Mark was the bourbon that we would normally go to. Um, we like a weeded bourbon. And for birthdays and barbecues and Christmas and whatever, we would always buy each other a better bourbon. And to us, because we were so unsophisticated, it was like the more expensive bourbon. You know, what's the next one? Like we found Bland's. I'm like, oh, I can up them on this. You know, I bring them Bland's. And so there was really not much else. And then Brad decided, well, why don't we make our own? Um, and due to a land sale that their family had made, a few years before um, of a very valuable piece of property in Jackson, Wyoming, um, they had the capital to start it. And we didn't want to just start a little thing. What we wanted to do is basically take a Kentucky distillery and downsize it. You know, so I think in this day and age, you're going to find a lot of these craft distilleries are doing pots, you know, small pot stills, Mm -hmm. and then they start to scale up, add a second pot, you know, maybe get a bigger pot. Or a hybrid still, get a column still with a, a pot still attached to it. Exactly. And what we said is, no, we're, if we're going to do a traditional bourbon, we want to make it with the traditional equipment. So we went to Vendome Copper and Brass. Uh, Rob Sherman's a guy that I know there, actually in a weird way from high school way back when. And uh, we had him build an 18-inch wide, 38-foot tall column with a 42-inch wow. pot behind it. That's a good-sized column still to start yeah. off with. So you guys went big from the beginning. Right from the beginning. And what was your first year's output? Like in 2006 when you guys just first cranked up that – so what were you able to produce in that very first year? So 06 is when the idea was hatched. Mm. Then we had to order the still, 
build right. the distillery right. and all that. So July of 09 was uh, when we flipped it on. July 4th of 09 was the ceremonial beginning of our production. So we're coming up on our 10th anniversary this July. Um, and it started a little slow because you have to dial it in and whatnot. Oh, yeah. you know, so the first half year of production, we probably put up uh, probably 500 barrels. Uh, wow. And it wasn't our best stuff. You know, that's one thing that everybody thinks, oh, you're going to start making whiskey and it's going to be great right from the get-go. It's not. Um, we have 10-year-old product that's coming online, a few barrels of it right now, but we won't release it because it's not that good. At least yeah. with what we're doing now, right. we refined it to a point now where we're much prouder of our 8-year-old and younger you know, than we are of what we did in the very beginning. So a lot of companies, craft distillers, start off by producing vodka and gin and then waiting on releasing their whiskeys. And initially, if they're going to kind of gain traction in the whiskey world, they, they start off by private labeling whiskey mm -hmm. from America. Like mm -hmm. they'll find um, Midwest grain products and start buying barrels from those guys and releasing them as a private label. Did you guys do any, uh, you know, did you nope. seek out anybody else's whiskey and start to bottle that? Brad is a fourth generation cattle rancher in Wyoming. And his grandfather was a two-term U.S. senator and governor of Wyoming. And his brother just finished his second term as governor of Wyoming. So when you're going to put the name Wyoming on the bottle, it'd be a really hard sell to put Indiana whiskey in a bottle that's from Wyoming. So from the get-go, and we didn't even know you could source whiskey back then. Um, we found that out years later when all of a sudden these, you know, a ton of craft distilleries are, pop craft distilleries are popping up. And they have six-year-old product. And we're like, how the hell are they coming up with six-year-old product? Like, oh, you can source it? And Brad says, we're the dumbest people, you know, we've ever met. You know, why didn't we do that? <clears throat> he jokes because we never would have done that. That wasn't the right way to do it. And that's what he told me is, David, we have to make this right. And I didn't know what right was. I just knew that anything that, if anybody looked into what we were doing, I didn't want to be embarrassed by what we were doing. And if anything, I wanted to be very proud of the fact that we were doing it this way. So we never did that. And we never wanted to do a clear spirit because, again, Wyoming Whiskey is our company name. So we didn't want to do vodka and consumers. Well, what we are doing tonight is a special treat. So Stephanie just came around with a white spirit, but this was not anything that would ever be sold by Wyoming whiskey. What you're getting in your glass right now would be if you were going to the Wyoming distillery in Jackson Hole. Is it in Jackson Hole? It's in it's Kirby, 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 Wyoming. It's middle of nowhere. Jackson Hole, right. Correct. Uh, not too far from Jackson Hole. Everybody's got to drive in Wyoming. But if you're doing a distillery uh, tour, they would perhaps give you a little taste of the white dog, the base spirit straight off of the still. That's what Stephanie just poured for you. So David brought in a sample. And if you look at this lovely bottle, always look for the bottles with Sharpie writing on them, right? <laughs> so it says right there, raw sample whiskey, not for sale, all right? Not legal to sell, but for educational purposes, totally legal. So straight off the still, right? We're doing this, we're legal, we're on video. Mr. Lama is not gonna take me away tonight. Uh, so stick your nose in that glass, this is the Wyoming bourbon without any age on it whatsoever. Straight off the still, looks like water. What's going on It does here? not taste like water. So this is 130 proof. What I think is really important is, and what's interesting is, is most people who aren't as educated as you folks are because you're in a whiskey society, they don't understand that whiskey comes off the still clear. They don't understand what a barrel does to the whiskey. So what I like to do in uh, groups like this is to say, you know, this is what our whiskey is right when it comes off the still. We cut this down to about 114 
Uh, in the early days, it was 110. This is a cool educational experience right here. We're gonna get to try the whole line, but it all starts with this. So stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth, tap some over your tongue. What do you smell? Just this, maybe you've never had White Dog before. Maybe you've done never done a distillery tour. What does this smell like to you? Because whiskey is different than <laughs> vodka. Whiskey is different than vodka in that you should always be able to identify the base agricultural product that it's made from. That's why we love whiskey, because you haven't stripped away the identity of the, of the grass or the grain. So what are you guys getting on this? Tell me your experience. No wrong answers. Corn. Day-old bread. Sunflower seeds. Brilliant. What else? Peanuts. Peanuts, good. Cornbread. Cornbread, that's great. That's great. Tap it over your tongue. Now, what? Malt. Great. She's got a great There's malted power. barley in there, 12%. 12%, yeah. So give us the rundown. What's the, what's so the mash, bill, mash is, bill? It's all non-GMO grains, and it's 68% corn, 20% winter wheat, and 12% malted barley. Uh, were you guys kind of going after that maker's thing when you start off? Again, we were not sophisticated enough to have a plan like that. We knew that <laughs> we, we didn't liked... didn't have any plan at all. We, we really didn't. We figured it out step by step. Uh, we knew we wanted a weeded bourbon because we did enjoy Pappy when you could get it, we, uh, which back then you could get much more readily and more cheaply, um, and we like makers. And, and so we wanted to fall into that category, not for any plan that we were trying to take, like, you know, open space or anything. It was just that's what we liked. And we hoped everyone else would like it too. That's brilliant. So now that you've tapped it over your tongue, 130 proof, what's your experience? Starburst, so it's fruity. Is that what you mean? Yeah, starburst kind of fruitiness? A waxiness, okay. So some of that waxiness, if it was gonna go in the barrel, that's kind of what the, where the barrel action comes in, starts to polish that whiskey off. Mm -hmm. Probably would take away some of that waxiness. But that corn will provide that oily, beautiful quality. That's what's cool about using corn for whiskey is that it's really oily and it kind of self-cleans the still mm -hmm. right on. Uh, the, the first time I ever had that was standing out on the dirt road in front of the distillery. And you got to understand, after you've Thanks, built, Stephanie. like waited for years to build the distillery, and then you finally get a fermentation, and you finally get a white dog, it comes out, we have it in a beaker, and I'm standing out there with one of my partners and three of my friends, and we just got tanked on 130 proof white dog. So, yeah. And whoever said banana, that's what I always get from it. I don't know who had said that. No, but that that's was me. I, I've had too much already. It's all right. It's that white dog. It'll bite you. Exactly. The spiritual Jack you've had for some. <laughs> that's right. The spirit of Jack. Yeah. Jack Daniels. I always get bananas. Bananas. Always. Um, so what is this second mark that uh, Stephanie came around with here? So this is Steamboat. Uh, Steamboat. So you guys have a lot of steamboats in Wyoming? No, Steamboat is the name of a horse. A horse? So if anybody's familiar with Wyoming and you've ever seen a license plate from Wyoming or you've ever seen University of Wyoming, uh, anything from University of Wyoming, you're going to see a buck and horse and rider. That horse's name is Steamboat. The reason being is because when it was a colt, it broke its nose. And whenever it would breathe heavily, it sounded like a steamboat whistle. So it would be whistling. It was the horse that couldn't be ridden. And at Cheyenne Frontier Days, it was finally ridden by one guy. Uh, and he's the only horse to be buried under one of the chutes at Cheyenne Frontier Days, the only, the only animal ever. So what we wanted to do with this is make this a truly Wyoming product and basically try to capture what's the most iconic image that we could from Wyoming. And that would be Steamboat, because you see it everywhere. And he was a famous rodeo horse. Correct. Famous bucking bronco. Correct. Well, here's to Steamboat. I hope you had a good life.
He had a Sounds great like one. he was he was a little of a cantankerous guy. Huh? He was the unrideable horse. <laughs> now that said, um, what we did with this, and I started off with this because this is going to be the sweetest, probably most approachable bourbon that you're going to have, or whiskey of ours that you're going to have tonight. When we make our small batch, which is going to be the next mark, um, we build it in, as a pyramid. Um, and in a warehouse that's not temperature controlled, you're going to get varying temperatures from bottom to top. So in the middle of summer, it might be 95 to 100 degrees in the bottom of the warehouse and 135 up top. So you're going to get really spicy barrels coming from the top of the warehouse. And you're going to get much milder, softer, sweeter barrels from the bottom. So we build a small batch, which is our next mark, using basically a majority of barrels from the bottom three to four ricks and then some from four to five, and then very few of them in the top, which are the spice barrels. Kind of a pyramid. Correct. If you're going to draw a diagram of the way you were pulling your barrels every day for your bottling, for your small batch. Correct. What we did with this is we lopped off the top of the pyramid. So there should be no real spice notes, meaning you know, cinnamon, no allspice in this, which you will get some of that in our small batch. This should just be more of our base caramel, orange, vanilla, as approachable as possible. It's at 90 proof. Yeah, so stick your nose in that glass. The Wyoming Whiskey Steamboat. He was a great horse. I, I'm guessing. <laughs> Somebody loved him. I'm pretty sure he was a great horse. What do you guys think? What do you smell? Taffy? What else? What kind of taffy? Banana Laffy Taffy? A butterscotch taffy. Taffy, okay. What else? What are you guys getting? Orange creamsicle. Beautiful. Sure. We have... I would say the most extreme maturation environment in the world or the most unique maturation environment in the world in our warehouses because in the summertime, it'll hit 135 in the top of the warehouse. Each day, it can swing 30 degrees outside or more, maybe 40. And then in the wintertime, uh, we've had temperatures down to minus five in the warehouse. All maturation stops at 40 degrees. So in the wintertime, we really fall behind in our maturation. But in the summertime, because of those daily huge temperature swings, you're getting a lot more action in and out of the wood, uh, at least this is our theory. Mm -hmm. And so we make up for a lot of that time on a daily basis during the summer months when like, it's working on overtime almost. Um, so if it's a particularly cold spring, we're not going to start our maturation as quickly as we would like. Like right now, it's been really rainy and snowing in Wyoming this uh, April and May. So the barrels have been taking a lot longer to warm up. And what the real effect of that is, is we can't start harvesting barrels for this season's batches until they're warm because they take on a grassy note in the winter when they're cold and you wouldn't, we wouldn't bottle it like that because it's an off-putting note. So that's really the, the primary reason why the cold will affect it in the spring. Uh, so what's the approximate age of most of the barrels in this batch? Everything that you're going to be tasting tonight is at least five years old. And you guys are using standard size barrels, no small barrels? No small barrels. 52 gallon barrels? 52, and it's a char four. Oh, so the nice heavy char. That's what I'm getting, that, that oakiness mm -hmm. at the top. Um, and how many barrels are going into a batch of this Steamboat edition here? So Steamboat was one giant batch. We did 1,000 cases of it. So is this gone forever when it's gone? Is this it? is gone forever. Oh, so we have, we're having a little unicorn whiskey. Steamboat the unicorn. <laughs> You'll find it on shelves. What do you know about unicorns, man? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You'll find it on shelves, but once it's gone, it's gone. Uh, we're going to do another special edition this year, but it's going to be limited to just Wyoming. We're going to make far fewer uh, cases of it. And it'll be a completely different flavor profile as well. Can you tell how much would it go for? 
Uh, this is gonna go for 45 to 50 bucks. But again, the Steamboat's super, super limited, so only a few places might be able to get their hands on it. Right. So Stephanie's coming around now with the Wyoming Whiskey Small Batch, is that right? That's correct. Um, so, go ahead. ahead. Small Batch is our flagship product. This is the first thing that we made. So how many in a small batch is under five? 40 barrels. On the back of the small batch bottle, you're gonna see the batch number. Um, and the earth, for the first 25 batches, we were doing 15 barrel batches. Once we switched over and really refined our batching protocol, we realized that if we wanted to have a really consistent small batch product, we needed to up the number of barrels. Um, and so we jumped it up to 40. When, uh, when did you guys make the switch? That would have been four years ago now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably yeah, four or five years, probably four years ago. When we did that, what, you, what we found was we were able to have a much more consistent product uh, and you could build that pyramid out of more blocks. And so, you know, in so doing, we found that, first of all, we became much more sophisticated with this. We brought on a, a woman named Nancy Fraley. I don't know if any of you have heard her name before. Uh, she is an absolute, I call her the wicked sniffa. She is a nosing expert in the industry. Uh, she's a mouse, a musketeer in the Armagnac region. Uh, she's like unbelievable. Uh, she can smell things that we can't. And so she came in and said, first of all, let's go to 40 barrels. But then she developed this pyramid approach to building our batches. And so she's done a great job of, of putting all that together. Uh, and in so doing has brought, I think, a level of consistency and excellence to this product, which this is what we want everybody to find everywhere. You know, this is what we hope is in cocktails. This is what we hope you know, people are going to be buying as their everyday drinking bourbon. So for the last four or five years, then you've really been ramping up production of the small batch. Is that what's going on? We've been making about the same amount of small batch um, over the last four or five years, but we are about to increase our production by um, 150% um, as a direct result of our partnership with Edrington. Um, we don't have enough. And so what we are doing now is laying down a lot more whiskey for what we are predicting will be sold five, six years from now. Mm -hmm. So right on. our fermentation so was the choke. What, what was your output four or five years ago and what is your output going to be this year? We were making 1,200 or so barrels a year back then and we're going to jack that up to you know, 5,000. Wow, great stuff. So stick your nose in this glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. Tell me what food words you're reminded of or what, yeah, what are you guys getting off of this one? No wrong answers, please share your experience. Peach cobbler, brilliant. Cheesecake. What kind of cheesecake? New York style, a little bit of chocolate. Ooh, fancy. I'll take one. I'll take one of those, please. Right? Right? That is. That's what we like. That's what we like. Anybody else? I'm getting those grassy notes like way down in there. The ones you're trying to get rid of, but I get those. <laughs> but it's really subtle. It's not strong. It's deep in there. You're always gonna get some of that, and, and you might find that you might get a sage note because our barrels are aging in the middle of a sage field. And so that's one of the reasons why I think you'll find our bourbons are set apart from, I would say sometimes an almost homogenous flavor profile that you're getting out of Kentucky because of the terroir of the region where we're aging it versus in Kentucky. So I think that's spot on. Yeah, I'm getting that peppery. You know, it was sage to me, comes across as a little peppery sometimes. Uh, I'm also, it's, it's like uh, I'm getting black tea a little bit and then like a nice mm -hmm. chocolate note in there as well. The proof on this was 88. Is that you guys is kind of baseline 88? I haven't seen anything lower. That's the baseline. Yep. And why 88? Just out of curiosity. So when you uh, 
are filling out your COLA, which is your certificate of label approved with a TTB, you have to state the ABV. That's the only real requirement on a bottle. And Wyoming was the 44th state admitted to the union, so we wanted to do 44 ABV. Because we really wanted this to be tied to the state because of the family's tied to the state as well. That's crazy, though, because you don't want to just put a number on there if it tastes good at a I certain... I told you we had no plan, man. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Lucky number 44. Where do you uh, source your barrels? Independent state. Great, great bourbon from Wyoming. There's your small batch. So batches of 40 barrels per bottling. How many times, how many batches can you do in a day? Of your small batch, can you run through two? Our bottling line would not allow us to do two batches, so we would do we could do a batch in about two days' time. Oh wow! Because forty, I mean that's a decent number of cases. Oh yeah, for sure. So basically, one batch per day of the small batch. Mm -hmm. um, what is coming around now is Stephanie is bringing to you is the seven grand single barrel. Correct. So we bought a barrel from you guys. Two Two barrels from you guys last year, and John Coltharp and Natalie picked them out, if I remember correctly, Natalie Starr. Um, so what we are passing around is the seven grand single barrel of Wyoming whiskey. And this is a whiskey that I'll tell you, like, a lot of times when people come in and they're like, I want to try the Pappy Van Winkle, you know, that stuff is really expensive. So I always like to challenge people to do a blind comparative. If people want to come in here and throw down a lot of money, I always love to, I want to show people that the whiskey world is accessible to everyone. You don't have to be rich. It's not an elitist thing. It's always been made by the people, for the people. Whiskey for the people is an important part of the seven grand kind of motto here, you know, that's our that's our thing. And this to me, I, I turn people, I, I put it into a blind comparative when people want to taste the pappy. And I've had people pick this or pick the Makers 46 over the Pappy in a blind comparative, which is amazing. And that's mm -hmm. the true strength of American whiskey to me is that you can make world-class contenders that are going to be underneath $40 a bottle. Some of the best whiskeys in the world are made here in America, and they come in under $40 a bottle. And that's what's cool about our whiskey to me. It's made for everyone. It's always been... Um a tremendous compliment when people will say, you know, this is the next Pappies or this is at least comparative, you know, in some way to Pappies because Pappies, from a marketing standpoint, sets the gold standard when it comes to marketing. Well, irregardless of marketing, but it's a damn good weeded it's bourbon. It's a damn good weeded bourbon. Uh, it's fantastic. We have nowhere near the age that they do. And I'm looking forward to seeing what our bourbon does over the years in order to get, you know, see if it can get to that level. Uh, but I do think that it at least has a similar flavor profile to, you know, it's a, it's a weeded bourbon and it's in that category. Well, cheers to that. So you guys, seven grand single barrel of Wyoming bourbon, stick your nose in that glass. Tell me what you're experiencing. Bubble gum. All right. All right. What else? Graham cracker. Brilliant. Butterscotch. Spearmint. Beautiful. Date. Caramel. One of the hallmarks of all of our whiskeys is the finish. It's always super smooth. You're never getting that, you know, that gagginess to it at all. Um, I can't tell you. I'm, I'm going to guess that it's the yeast that we're using uh, that's producing a, a smoother base spirit because I think you commented before, 130 proof base spirit was pretty smooth. So we use two yeasts uh, when we make our whiskey. Proprietary or you guys like source them or do you know? 
no, I, I mean, I, could, I know exactly what they are. And the only reason why I don't tell people is because that seems to be the big secret in the industry. You never tell people what the East is. Well, that's, that's an American thing. You go over to Scotland and the guy's going to be like, yeah, we just get it from the grocery store. It's distiller's East. You know, it's like. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, one of them is a very common home distiller's yeast that anybody would use when they were going to make any type of spirit. And the other one is a white wine vintner's yeast. So that's, we changed when we first started, it was the first 600 barrels, we just used the high yield kind of run of the mill yeast. And Steve Nally and I were talking about it and you know, we really liked this other yeast that originally Lincoln Henderson had turned us onto. And it was a much more expensive liquid yeast. And so we were looking at, we we're penciling this out, like it's just too expensive. And so what we started doing is backsetting it, much like you would with sourdough. So we would pitch it on Monday, and then on Tuesday, we would reach back into the Mondays and bring it forward through the week, and then we would start over the next week. And once we started doing that, we found that the white dog that we were producing had a much sweeter, smoother taste to it. And so I really think it was the addition of that second yeast that creates the smoothest in our product. Yeah, that's your basic sour mash process. But how long is the fermentation? How many days are you guys letting this Four yeast days. do its thing? Four days. So it's a nice, good, good long uh, fermentation. Is it closed fermentation, meaning is the yeast tank closed or are there other wide wild open. yeast getting in there and kind of getting in the mix? It's wide open. Um, again, modeling it off the Kentucky uh, process, you know, which is usually open fermentation. And again, we want the terroir of Wyoming to enter into it at every stage possible. Brilliant. Yeah. So the white dog that we tasted, is it going to be the same one for all of these or just aged differently? Yes. Yeah. With one exception. So all of the color, most of the flavors coming from that maturation. You, the white dog is being changed with that time in the barrel. What I like product. about single barrels and is literally if you were to come into the warehouse and we were to pop bungs out of 10 barrels side by side that have aged for the exact same period of time, they were from the same day of distilling and all that, the difference in the taste of each of those barrels could be profound. Some of them are going to be very similar and some of them almost identical, but... What's beautiful is, is you could have a single barrel that's going to have really high, like a raisin note that you're like, where does that come from? It's the wood. And so what we do is we will bring samples to Seven Grand and other interested parties and say, you know, here's five, 10 samples. And they will go through and find the flavor profile that matches what they're looking to do with the barrel. 113 proof. So and re really remind me at the end, I'll tell you about our barrel strength product, which is a unique story unto itself. But again, at super high proof points, it's unbelievable. Why sharps? Why not three? Like everybody, like did you sit down and go, we don't like two, we don't like three, four is it, or was it just? What does Wyoming have four? I, I can give you some ideas that, um, like Maker's Mark uses a three char, but they also age their staves for a long time before making the barrel. And that'll allow a lot of the tannins to drop out of the wood. They, they um, air dry, season their staves for a full year outside. Um, but the four char, if you look at the inside of a Maker's Mark barrel, that three char is still pretty smooth. Four char is when it really starts to break open and give you what the alligator skin. So those the cellulose turning these big blocks. And that opens up the wood. And you think about carbon, it's an extremely dense molecule. So the surface area, once those things start breaking open, you're quadruple, like exponentially, you're opening up more opportunity for essentially filtration and polishing. Like that four char, the difference between three and four is immense in terms of surface area. Because once it starts cracking open, you're quadrupling your, your surface area. Will that have a tendency to smooth it out though? Like, I mean, this is, this 113 is like unbelievable. Like, One of the thoughts with Steve was, is 
we weren't rushing to get it to market, but we definitely wanted to get as much surface area as possible and get it aging as quickly along as we could. So hence not the three. That said, we are now taking one truckload a year of an 18 month yard aged wood that's a char three with every eighth barrel having toasted heads. So that's gonna come online in the next year and a half to two years. And that's been a very unique flavor in what those toasted heads are doing and what the lower char, but when you, instead of kiln drying wood, drying wood, which doesn't produce the same richness that a yard age does, what we're finding is that that richness is coming out of that wood. And when you're a new distiller, you don't get the best barrels, by the way. You gotta earn your way up the chain. And so once we proved that we were going concerned and we weren't going anywhere, uh, Independent Stave noticed that and they actually flew our distiller, Sam Mead, and his wife, Bree, to Arkansas, or excuse me, to Missouri, and brought them to the distillery, to the, um, the cooperage, showed them around, and then Sam reciprocated and showed them around the distillery. And then from that point on, we were getting whatever we wanted. Describe toasted, I'm, I don't know exactly what that is, like a toasted. So in order to make the barrel, you have to heat the wood enough to make the stave. So even just a white wine barrel, although it's not charred, it is toasted because the barrel making process requires some toasting just to bend the staves into the shape of the barrel so you can band them, right? So barrels have to be toasted in order to be made. It has two purposes. It's that, but it also, I mean, think about toast. Like when you toast something, you're not burning it, you're just toasting it so you bring out some of the flavors of, of the bread. And so when you toast it, you're gonna get more of the like, the caramels, um, the sap is brought to the surface and that's gonna have a profound influence on it. Versus a burn, like when you char a barrel, it's on fire. You know, it's like a jet engine that they put it in, and then water, done. You, you need to cook that sugar, though, of the white oak tree. You, exactly. That's where you get those, those vanillins to caramelize and, and give you those, yeah, the caramelized sugar of the white oak tree. That's what we love. That's what gives us the flavor and the color. So but just the tops make that much difference in terms of? In the first year alone, we noticed flavors coming from that barrel that we had never seen before from the other types of barrels we were using. Yeah, what was your question? Well, I was just wondering if you could talk about the history of your master distiller. Uh, Steve Nally. So Steve was with Maker's Mark for 33 years. He was literally born in Loretta, Kentucky, right next to the distillery. And he started as, if I remember correctly, a security guy. Um, he was like right out of high school and he was just the warehouse guy and he was walking the grounds making sure no one was stealing booze. And then he worked his way up to warehouse superintendent and I'm gonna completely screw this up, but I mean, just imagine how you would work yourself up through a distillery. Um, he became like a yeast specialist, and then he went all the way up until he made it to master distiller. Um, so he really earned his stripes, and that's the guy that you want when you're starting a brand new distillery because he was a jack of all trades. He could do anything and everything that we needed done at the distillery. And the interesting thing is, is we got our still from Vendome in Kentucky, and I was talking to Rob Sherman, and Literally, I had this list of like, okay, what's the flow chart? What's the next thing we got to do? And after we had our still ordered and we had our design of our building and we're breaking ground on our building, oh, we needed a distiller. <laughs> because if I was making this, I promise you, we wouldn't be here right now because it would not be that good. So I called Rob and I said, um, hey man, you got to find me a distiller. He said, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you're making the still. Now you got to find someone to man the still because I can't make it. Lincoln's not going to work day to day on this. And so he said, all right, give me some time. And, you know, master distillers don't grow on trees. And it just so happened that Steve had retired from Makers two years before. 
uh, and his wife Donna, who had run their tourism department, had retired as well. And so it was a package deal. Um, he called me because I got your guy, and he told me who it was, and I almost fell over. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. A weeded bourbon maker with 33 years experience and a tourism expert. So we brought him out and uh, drove him over to Kirby, and they fell in love with the place. They still own a house in, uh, in, in Thermopolis. Nice. Yep. So Stephanie came around with, what is this? Fourth, so fifth Outrider. Mark, fifth Mark, the Outrider. So what is the story of the Outrider? This is the best story I got. So it's perfect that we were just talking about Steve Nally because he's a weeded bourbon maker, right? That's the only thing he believed was worth making was a weeded bourbon. So when I approached him 10 years ago and said, Steve, I think uh, we need to make rye because my job was to monitor everything and, and what do we need to be looking forward because when you make whiskey, you got to lay stuff down and wait forever. So I saw in the trade publications that rye had a slight blip 10 years ago. It was just, and I'm like, that's, we got to get on front of that. We got to, we got to plan it. So I went to Steve and I said, hey, Steve, I think we need to make uh, rye. He goes, no, I don't want to make rye. <laughs> and I was like, why not? He goes, rye sucks. <laughs> Quote, rye sucks. I'm like, well, and this, by the way, this guy's 6'5", so it's tough to twist this guy's arm. So I said, well, it doesn't really matter what you think or I think, but the American public is starting to drink rye, and I think we need to diversify a little bit. He goes, I don't want to make it. So this guy technically worked for me, but you can't tell the Bourbon Hall of Famer what to do. So I went to my partner, Brad, who is the ultimate boss, and I said, listen, I, think, I firmly believe we need to make rye. And so I wore him out over about a month. And I just kept going to his office. I'm like, we gotta do it, we gotta do it. He goes, fine, I'll call him. So he called Steve, Steve was not happy about it. So Brent planted rye. Um, I'm sure Steve was going out there and digging it up and hoping it would just fail over the course of the winter. <laughs> but it didn't, and a bumper crop in the spring, or in the, we harvested in uh, July, August. And he said, fine, I'll make it, but I'm gonna make it at the end of the distilling season, right before I clean the entire system because it's gonna foul all the equipment. And it's super does. dramatic. That's what he means by sucking is it's, it's hard to deal with. It is hard to deal with. It tastes great, but a pain in the ass to distill. So to that point, he called me the first day of, of fermentation, and he's like, I told you this was a bad idea. I'm like, what? He goes, the fermenters are overflowing. It smells like shit in here. And he, he's just going nuts. And I was like, Steve, call somebody, man. You know everybody in the business. Your Rolodex is thick. And he, I said, figure it out. So he did. He made 100 barrels of rye, and I do this on purpose. And he made 200 barrels of bourbon made with rye. So the 20% wheat, it, it was our same mash bill as our weeded bourbon, but he substituted the rye in for the wheat. So 68% corn, 20% rye, 12% barley. So he laid down 200 barrels of that and 100 of the rye. So then I was like, okay, I'm not gonna ask him to do this again because he might kill me. And so I just forgot about it. We forgot about the barrels. I figured that they were a loss. Like I really thought that he might've just completely ruined them on purpose because he was so unhappy about this. A few years later, he went home. Um, he was homesick, you know, it was time to get back to family. Uh, and so um, my partner's son, Sam, took over his head distiller uh, and came in and really made some great uh, modifications to our process. He asked all the questions that he couldn't ask when Steve was there because you don't question a master distiller like that. Uh, and he really brought some refinements that I think brought our bourbons to the next level. So when Nancy came in and he and Sam were sampling, uh, I said, hey, will you guys taste that rye and just tell me, you know, is it any good? Nancy called me and said, this is some of the best young rye I've ever had. 
and it was three years old at that point. I was shocked. I said, how about the bourbon? She goes, equal, just as good. So I said, all right, let's keep an eye on it. So year four comes around. She says, I think it's ready. Because rye can be sold at a slightly lower age because it holds up better at a younger age. And I said, well, let's not do that. Let's wait till it's five. That was our baseline age of all of our products. So it gives us a year to come up with a name, you know, how are we going to market this, et cetera. So I call Sam. The first thing you want to know is, well, what's the mash bill of the rye? And I said, so what is it? He goes, you're not going to believe this. It's only 48% rye. And I was like, you got to be kidding. I said, do the math again. And it's got to be 51% to be a rye. So I, I said, do the math again. I've done it six times. You want me to tell you it's a rye? I'm like, no, you can't do that. You know, but now I'm panicked because we don't have a rye. And the goal was to have a rye. Got a so, high rye bourbon. Yeah. Well, it wasn't even a bourbon. It's 48% rye, 40% corn, 12% oh. barley. So it's nothing. It's, it's American, American whiskey. <laughs> and American whiskey is a catch-all category that really doesn't mean anything to the consumer. So I'm panicked. And I talked to Brad about it, and you know we huddle up, and we, we're like, what do we do? And we know it's awesome, but what do we do with it? So what we decided to do is we took 44 barrels of, we split it into quarters, the, the whole stock of 300 barrels, and we basically did quarters per season. And what you're tasting is the second season of it, which is six years old. And so we did a two-to-one ratio of bourbon barrels to almost rye barrels. But we didn't have a name. So what do we call this stuff? I wanted to call it the bastard batch because that's just really what it, is what it was, you know? But Kate said, absolutely not. We are not putting a swear word on our bottle. And everyone else in my company, our sales team and everyone wanted me to keep taking runs at that name. And Brad said, if you ask again, you're fired. And I was like, okay, I've done what I can do. It's not gonna be the bastard batch. So we were trying to figure out what to call it. And I called Steve and I figured I gotta know why. You know, why did he do this? I figured he just made a ma mathematical error. And so I said, hey, Steve, how you been? We hadn't talked in a couple years, you know, catching up on pleasantries. And I said, uh, hey, I want you to know that that rye you made is, like, spectacular. He goes, good. I'm really happy for you. I said, but, man, we're having a hell of a time naming it. Um, why did you only use 48% rye? He goes, because I told you I didn't want to make rye. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> so that was the five-year phone call. He was waiting five years for that phone call. And I'm sure he hung up the phone and went to Don. It was like, I got him. I got him. <laughs> so what do we do next? I wanted to call it Defiance because I figured that would be perfect, but there's already a Defiant Whiskey. Um, so Brad, my partner, came up with the name Outrider, uh, which is really a perfect name for it because in cattleman terms, when you're moving cattle, uh, the outriders are the ones on the flanks that are keeping the, the calves and the you know, strays in with the herd. And these barrels really were like the strays, you know, that were, mm -hmm. I mean, they're nothing, you know. And so that's the story of Outrider. Um, what you're tasting is our only six-year-old. It's actually a couple months shy of six years old. Uh, the green double W on the bottle is that it's six. If you ever see one with a white double W, it's five years old. We skipped seven. And what you're going to see coming out this fall is going to be our, I'm calling it eight, let's say eight summer seasons. Uh, that'll be coming out with, uh, I would say, a fresh look on the label. And I can't wait to taste what it's going to be because the difference between the five and the six-year-old was the mouthfeel. It was a, a thicker, more viscous, uh, richer feel. 
and I just tasted the two base spirits a couple of weeks ago when I was over in Kirby, and it's amazing. So why I think, did you skip the seven year? Um, we, uh, uh, as I alluded to earlier, we entered into a partnership with Edrington, and that finalized last September fourth, and we knew that was going to happen, uh, barring any catastrophic errors. And we wanted to kind of keep our powder dry because the biggest problem with an American whiskey is, is how do you educate a consumer about a product that really has no clear descriptor on the label? So we figured, you know, we don't need to bottle it. Let's hold it for another year. It's only going to get better. And then let's let the experts uh, and the team, the commercial team that Edrington brings to this and all the entire distribution network uh, do their job and educate the consumer on how great this really could be. So what are you guys getting on this Outrider? Stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you reminded of? 100 proof. It's bottled in bond and it's straight. Yeah, orange and maple. What else are you guys getting? They're stunned. Chocolatey. This really is leading the charge as far as the quality of all of our whiskeys. Um, and I, I think I speak for Edrington when I say that this probably is what turned their heads the most when they were tasting through all of our product line. And they believe that this is really like the finest thing that we're doing. Very unique. It's very, very good. And it's all by accident. Yeah. Sir. It's, uh, you know, I love the story about this rye, or at least this, you know. Almost rye. <laughs> Does this mean that, like, at a certain point, you're just going to run out of barrels? Yes. Okay, so you guys are, haven't made, like. We have. So Sam and I talked about this, and we, ha we started laying it down two and a half years ago. So we have two and a half year old, 51% rye. <laughs> uh, and we also have bourbon uh, made with rye as well, but like twice as much as what we laid back down way back when, and we're doing it every year. So it's not gonna go away. It might in this iteration because- Go away for a while. So think about it. This is gonna be eight years this year, and then nine next year, and then the stuff that'll be coming online will be much younger. and it would be misleading to the consumer to release a four or five year old product after they're used to a nine. So what we'll probably do is we're gonna release a true rye. So it'll be a small batch bourbon, a small batch rye. And then as that ages, we'll decide what we're gonna do with it moving forward. Maybe we bring you know the return of Outrider in five or six years from now, we'll see. Are you, are you gonna name the real rye Steve? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna name it Steve. That's the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. Yes. I'll send a bar, just, I'm gonna write Steve on it, send it to him. Steve's right. So Stephanie's coming around with our sixth mark of the evening. What is this one, Stephanie? The double cask. So David, what is double cask? What does that mean? So this is our first and so far only use of a second cask to age our whiskey. So we're not trying to mask anything with this, but what we take is our small batch product, fully matured five-year-old bourbon, and we place it in Pedro Jimenez sherry casks. Nancy Fraley um, and Sam and I were talking about, you know, what could we do um, to have a, a, an extension of something completely different than what we had done before uh, for us, this is, you know, this is crazy. You know, we've never done anything weird like this before. And we had talked about doing port, but we couldn't find the exact type of port barrel that we wanted. So she said, I really think that Pedro Jimenez Sherry is going to be the right complement to the base spirit. Um, I think she was right. I think that it really complements the base spirit. It brings out um, 
all the right notes in our bourbon. Thank you very much. And also at 100 proof, uh, the reason why this goes last is because I think this is the fullest, um, most complex, um, delicious thing that we make. I mean, if you like it full bodied, this is the bourbon for you or whiskey for you. So does everyone have this double cask in their hands? Yes. How, how long is the sherry cask? It depends on the time of year. Uh, if it's in the summer, shorter, maybe two to three weeks. Uh, that's it. The very first batch that we tried, we ruined it after nine days because those sherry casks pack such a punch that we put our bourbon in to a couple barrels and I was over there on the seventh and eighth day of the secondary maturation and we had a writer in town from Canada who wrote an article in Whiskey Magazine uh, from over the pond and they, he and his friends were saying, this is ready. And we were like, it's eight days old, you know? I mean, we gotta let this go for a month or whatever. Literally the next day, it was so tannic, um, it was undrinkable. It was like you're chewing on bark. So we dumped those back into our bourbon barrels and hope they heal. I don't know if they will. Um, hopefully it's a happy accident and it comes into something that's really spectacular, but maybe not. So we, we look every day when we're doing it now and it's about three to four weeks is the average. When it's middle of summer, it's gonna be a little shorter. We're going to shorten that up and really be looking at it after two to three weeks. But in the wintertime when we do it, when it's like 72 degrees in, the wear, in, in our heated bottling building where we do it, it'll take a little longer. Well, does anyone else have any questions for David DeFazio here from Wyoming Whiskey? Well, let's give it up for Wyoming Whiskey in the house. Thank you, David. Great Thank education. Great introduction to the line. Thanks, sir. So support your Wyoming whiskey, all right? Get some for your home bar. Really and, le and listen, stuff. I really, I'm honored to be here. I know that uh, you guys bring in much larger brands and a small brand like us that's up and coming and is going to crush the world uh, is honored to be here. Uh, so thank you for having us here. Okay, we're thank champions you. of the little guys. We want all these craft distillers to be able to like have a place to be able to share their, their new spirits. So thank you very much for coming out tonight. Thanks, Pedro. Right on. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. <laughs> <laughs>